Hey folks, Adam here. Uh, today's episode is coming out in the midst of the ongoing writers slash actors strike, and I feel like it would be irresponsible for me to talk so much about the behind the scenes of how the sausage gets made, the realities of creative work, without expressing solidarities with our brothers, sisters, and everyone else involved who are actively fighting for better working conditions for everyone across the industry. Our thoughts are with you, uh, and we are hoping for a better future for everyone involved. Thank you. On today's very unfocused episode of Halftone Takes, we talk a lot about The Lord of the Rings, reveal ourselves to be map fanatics, <laughs> and unceremoniously dunk on The Last Airbender. The the Last Airbender, the, the live action one. We want to well, make that yeah. perfectly clear. No one's going <laughs> to dunk on the, the good one. <laughs> the good one. <laughs> It'll quench you. Welcome to Halftone Takes, high contrast conversations where we zoom out to see the bigger picture. I am one of your hosts, Adam Buccieri, but I gotta tell you, I wish I was LeVar Burton, <laughs> motherfucker! <laughs> Fuck all y'all! <laughs> and I'm the other half of your host, Corey Revis, aka LeVar Burton. <laughs> I'll, I'll, kill, I'll kill you, bitch! Where's my iconic slave role? <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> I wish I was a LeVar Burton. Oh. Uh, we, are, we are doing our goofs uh, because yeah. the, the awful, awful news of Lance Reddick's uh, recent passing. Uh, yeah. The, the the big man. He, like, that was, he was a very, quite a huge influence on just uh, the kinds of characters that I actually like to watch in tv and stuff like that yeah um surprisingly yeah my well i was gonna say surprisingly my first time seeing him was not the wire (laughs) everybody Mm says oh i remember him from the wire right i'm like no i remember him from fringe i'm sorry (laughs) oh sure and then i went back to the wire (laughs) yeah um yeah that's real devastating loss to me mm-hmm. he was in my my personal league of extraordinary character actors who you know he was just one of those people where no matter what the role was uh would elevate it oh yeah way past what was expected uh mm. you know the recent resident evil show not good uh but <laughs> god he's great he's the best part of it by a long shot like i love watching him and that is not just Adam's opinion either. I've heard a lot of people say that he's the best part of the show, and they didn't expect him to be because he is Wesker, <laughs> and Wesker is notoriously played bad. And he's great as he's Wesker. just having a good time. He's just uh, having a good time. He, like most of the show, is like basically totally disconnected from what we would can talk about as Resident Evil. But there's one scene where he shows up with sunglasses and like his stupid Matrix trench coat, and it's just like, <laughs> oh, he's just Blade. Yeah, he's just, he's just playing. <laughs> um, yeah, it, yeah, it's <sighs> it, he's very good, and it was very sudden. Um, yeah, like this feel, to unexpected. me, this feels like Anton Yelchin when he passed away too. It's yeah, just like out of so. nowhere, but you know, because um, just real quick too, because I was talking to one of my other uh, friends who also loves Lance. And he's like, yeah, I kind of knew something was happening because he's a big fan of like the John Wick series. Yeah. And 
John Wake 4, the premiere happened and Lance wasn't there. And he's a prominent character mm-hmm. in the movie. So he was like, what? <laughs> and everybody yeah. was kind of saying, like, where is he? Um, so something went on and uh, apparently it was just natural causes. Like, yeah, it Awful. was just his time to go. Unfortunately, like, like so 60, like too yeah. young, too fucking. He, young. he is younger than my mom. Ugh. So it's just like, oh, man. But I mean, I mean, I hate to talk to I hate to talk about people like this where it's like, well, at least their projects are still going good. And sure, like that sure. feels very disingenuous. It feels but, cynical. Yeah. But but at least but like in the most non cynical way, I'm very happy that a show I'm looking forward to um. It, like his stuff is already done. So I think that'll be his actual last project. Mm-hmm. Um, like he worked on a video game. He's the voice of Hellboy in the upcoming Hellboy video oh, game. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it, apparently he just finished that. So there's a lot of stuff that is like, sure, some projects like obviously won't, like he won't finish, but at least the stuff that I was really looking forward to, to him being in uh, I will be able to see because he finished and everything like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Good. One one last hurrah <laughs> type It is thing. difficult because you don't want to, to come across as cynical and just, you know, uh, the only value that this person has is like them. Is their job. Their, their job. Like, and by all accounts, he seems like a genuinely good dude. Oh, like, he was awesome. Like if I, I mean I followed him on Instagram, so I always watched his <laughs> stuff, and he always talked about his dogs and everything. Mm-hmm. And he was very like, I heard he was like when people met him in person and stuff. He was very kind. He's very funny, apparently. I mean, yeah, if you watch yeah. any of his other shorts, like you know he's hilarious. He, his comedic timing is ridiculous. <laughs> but everybody, he seems like he always plays the serious characters, like the very like. Like, not necessarily cold, but very, like, um, boss characters. Like, the yeah. ones that are... Authoritative. Yeah, authoritative yeah. characters. And yet, people talk about it. He's like, he's always joking. He's always, like... Yeah. And he's apparently, like, like hugely, hugely musical. Because he comes from a <sighs> musical background. So... I was like, oh, man, I didn't even know that. I looked up some a couple more stuff that I didn't know about him. And I'm like, oh, man... Yeah, he comes from a huge music background. He could play the like piano, I think, classically and everything like that. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, geez, I didn't know this. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it it's very sad. But he left a great legacy, and I appreciate that, though. Yeah, um, absolutely. So pour one out for a real one. Yeah. Uh, uh terrible, terrible loss. Yeah, uh. Mr. Lance Reddick. That's the I think. Is that the first big one of this year? Of this year, maybe. That passed away. That may be the first relatively big one of this year. Yeah. But, yeah. Ugh. But, uh, yeah, so anyway. Well, on that anyways. Note, what are we talking about? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know we, we're not we... talking about in memorandum stuff. <laughs> in the arms of <laughs> an angel. <laughs> uh, we do have a show today. Uh, today's topic is how the sausage gets made 
And mm. by that, I am talking about behind the scenes. I am talking about director's commentary. I am talking about... Lord of the Rings. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> yes, but I haven't gotten there yet. I'm trying... I'm setting terms. Talking just broadly, like okay. uh, documentaries, like uh, yes. all kinds of stuff that are about the realities of creative work. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, uh, uh, this is a topic of endless fascination to me. Like, I have a genuinely bottomless appetite for this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about more in detail. But, like, part of the this topic uh, is, is inspired by the recent release of Double Fine's Psychodicy, the 32-part, mm -hmm. 22-hour-long mm -hmm. uh, behind-the-scenes about the creation of Psychonauts 2. Which, uh, I mean, absolutely unprecedented access to, like, the genuine yeah. creative process, to the genuine production and realities of creative work. Uh, really astonishing stuff and an absolute miracle that it exists at all. And, uh, but that also spins off into, you know, a larger topic of, like, other things that have been influential to us, you know, before when we were in the green room just now, we were talking about like our passion, how much we love watching footage of people in the recording booth, voice mm. actors just performing. Like, oh man. It's so, I, I never will get sick of watching Mark Hamill in a recording booth, just like <laughs> contorting himself like a little goblin. So he can do and his voice. And then opposite of him, you, mm -hmm. he had, um, the late, uh, Kevin, Kevin Conroy, the late Kevin Conroy, who I think might have been the first one, actually. Also, rough, yeah, rough, rough, well, rough one, because he was a multi-talented actor slash artist, like, like crazy. But you have the opposite of him, where he's just playing it so straight. And I'm like, wow, this is actual collaborative artists working working side by side together. I love that where they're both really good, but they both have their ways of doing it. And it's mm -hmm. still, you get mm -hmm. magic when you do that, when you let people kind of, you know, you have a little bit of direction and whatnot, but um, you just let people do their thing. Just let people work with each other. And then you, that's why they're so iconic. And, you know, I always had a, appreciate like adam said i always had an appreciation for voice acting and watch how people voice act and um whatnot because i personally like voice acting a lot i've done a <laughs> little bit myself and um i appreciated that i thought i was weird when i was a kid because i just <laughs> like copying you know what i hear and totally. everything like that i I mean, I we joked about it before, like how I know the Goofy movie front and back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I can do that whole movie. I can literally voice act and sing that entire movie. Totally. <laughs> and and that's, been... hard, that's one of the ways I've learned is just doing Goofy's voice and, you know, continuously trying to make it better and better. Yeah. And, and I've been yeah. talking about and I, and I think I've talked about it on the show as well. But, like, I will get turns of phrases or specific line delivery stuck in my head like people get st get a song mm. stuck in their head. And so uh, we just rewatched uh, Lego Batman the other day. <laughs> uh, first of all, that movie rules. Yeah, but, that movie uh, rules. <laughs> uh, 
uh, Zach Galifianakis's Joker uh, early on is listing off a bunch of like bullshit Batman villains. And then they're just like, are all of those real? And he's like, yep, every one of them might be worth a Google. <laughs> and that like, ooh, I really love that. The, just that, yeah, just might that inflection. <laughs> <laughs> just the inflection is really good. Oh, yeah. I, I do the same thing. Which is why I say tone and line delivery is everything. The you could have a you know a ball and script, but if it's not delivered well, it's not going to hit as well. It's I mean it's this and this is part of like part of what I I want to talk about with this is just like the intersection of so many disciplines that mm. add up to you know something greater than the sum of their parts. Uh, and seeing all of those disciplines and seeing how they interact and how they uh you know build off of each other is is something that i yeah just cannot get enough of like i i just love this shit mm -hmm. so uh, I, I mean i appreciate that oh i'm sorry go ahead <laughs> <laughs> so for this episode uh the three topic questions that i have are what do we mean by this defining uh what i mean by how the sausage is made which we are doing right now uh what's your history with behind the scenes and what ones are special to you and I'm not going to formally structure this episode because I think these are just going to bleed into each other so much, uh, you know. I also like the idea of watching both big and small studios. Totally. Full of creatives make good stuff because I know we like to we love the underdogs. We and so do mm -hmm. I. I. I love this is why I love Double Fine. Um, because they're relatively a small studio. They're not Super, huge, yeah. but they're big enough. They're big enough. They, they are firmly a double A studio in terms of size. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, part of part of the point of like what makes Psychodicy is remarkable is that they're, they are basically doing like a big budget triple A mm -hmm. uh, production with a team of 60, I think, company wide. And not all of those people are assigned to it. Yeah, company-wide, uh, there's about 60 people in total, and not even all of them are working on it. Like, they they have, yeah, bits and pieces. So, I mean, they're definitely biting off more than they can chew, in that, mm -hmm. and you see it uh, in in the documentary. But, like, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I, I totally agree that, like, the scale of a company and a production uh, can be really significant in terms of how they approach it. For both big and small, yeah. I, I just like the fact that because I know a lot of people love indies and they like to rag on AAA stuff. Mm. And this just proves that, one, it's making games is hard. <laughs> Very hard. Making anything is hard, but making video games is hard. Mm -hmm. Two, the only, like, there... The reason why a lot of people... And this is, I mean, I don't, I don't know if anybody shares this sentiment, but... The reason why I think that AAAs, you, people get mad at them, especially me, is the fact that, okay, guys, half of the problem of making this stuff, and I'm talking 50%, mm. is not the creative process. It's budgeting. <laughs> it's money sure. and that kind of red tape and everything, which AAAs have all of that in spades. They have through ways to get that stuff done faster. Yeah. And yet, so you could put more of your creative budget, I guess, into actually the game. So that is why I'm like, okay, guys, 
why are you doing this? This shouldn't, you should at least have a decent game, not a bad one. <laughs> yeah. Why does it feel like this game is going to fall apart and stuff? Unless, of course, there's, you know, drama behind the camera, which that's another thing that we could talk about. But totally. Um, because I think that's one reason why I like, uh, you know, at least getting into like the history of, uh, for me anyway, this is the reason why I kind of like, um, behind the scenes stuff a lot, because I know 100% that everybody doesn't get along. Um, the studio always tends to interfere regardless of the product that comes out. The studio loves to interfere. It doesn't matter how much power this, the, uh, you know, the studio, or I should say the network, the network likes to interfere. The studio, it doesn't matter how much power or anybody, influence anybody has, there's always going to be a poke. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you should probably do this. Hey, we're going to throw in this. Just this little thing. Totally. We, it's going to work, believe me. We <laughs> talked to focus testing and they said this. Yeah. And and that's another thing we could talk about is how, how reliable is focus testing slash giving people previews of the general audience totally because that's always something that's very that's always something that's been a lot of very interesting to me too is okay if you give people a preview of anything games Mm. movies tv shows what have you is that truly gonna be does that give you a good idea of how reception i mean how uh, receptive the show is going to be or are we or should you always just test it with your focused audience if that makes any sense but also like how do you select who you test it with yeah because yeah, that's kind of what i'm trying to get at i'm sorry i'm trying to articulate that but yeah, i was like I, I know what i'm talking about <laughs> but but like no i think that's very fair of just like you know the the fear that well, if I just build this for focus tests, am I just building something that the largest number of people think is fine? Mm-hmm. You know? And then it starts to become paint by numbers. Is it better to make a, something that's more specific that a smaller number of people will be really passionate about versus trying to appeal to as many people as possible? You know? Which is why, or I think one of the reasons why uh, I think we kind of talked about this studio before, but not in depth. This is why A24 is such a baffling anomaly. Totally. They seem to hit the sweet spot that nobody else can hit. Where uh, I will like, say A24 is like a distributor, not a not a studio. I mean, well, not, so. no, uh, yeah, I, I don't mean that. I mean, um, the fact that it, when A24 distributes their own stuff, which it happens to be a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. That seems like how does anybody like this stuff? And yet a large number of people, I think more than a lot of people think, really enjoy them, (laughs) really enjoy the movies that come out of that. I mean, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, which we just rewatched. That movie continues to be appropriately rated as a modern classic. Mm. (laughs) You know, a lot of people, you know, it's like, ah, this is overrated. Ah, this is underrated. It's like, no. Everything Everywhere is appropriately related as being mm-hmm. a, a very special movie. Uh, and I'm glad it's gotten as much recognition as it deserved. That is A24's, like, 
highest biggest budget not biggest budget but like uh biggest box office return yeah big yeah it's biggest box office return. like their biggest hit uh and it made like a hundred million yeah and when you really think about that i'm like how like (laughs) how does a lot of people like this because it seems like this would just be very very niche Mm. for martial arts heads for sci-fi heads for super character actor heads like it's very specific it's got comedy it's got heart yeah and it like yeah does it's a hard movie to pitch it's a hard movie to like sell someone on um and it's a multiverse movie which people are already getting sick of so (laughs) it's like let's be honest yeah but yeah let's be honest it's like People, yeah, because in the, it's the best multiverse movie at the end of the multiverse run type thing. So, mm-hmm. again, you're saying you're pitching something that people are like, oh, you say it's good, but whatever. Like, sure. how, like, <laughs> and yet it ended up being that good. And yeah. then a lot of people saw it and they're like, yeah, this is good. And I'm like, how do you like this? <laughs> totally. Like, you normally don't like this at all. And I'm like, that's an anomaly to me. And that's crazy. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm no, saying that's awesome. hard to replicate. But that's well, the like... thing that I'm saying is that like what makes A24 special and, uh, you know, this isn't behind the scenes, but I like I would love to see more behind the scenes of like how A24 itself operates, how they select projects, how they market. They're doing the thing that I've been saying studios should do for decades, which is like you've got a hundred million dollars and you can either put it into one movie and then bet the entire bank, or you can make 10 movies yeah, and just see what happens. And that's what they're doing. And they're making all of these small, weird films that like maybe individually don't do like crazy returns at the box office, but they are special, unique movies that you can't get anywhere else. And there is a huge, huge value to that. I I think, because I, I actually do know a little bit about how they run uh the system sausages made um uh for one a big reason and i think this is when you the more you think about it the more the bigger i'm like okay yeah that makes sense they're not based in hollywood they're based in new york Mm -hmm. so they have a very already a very startup slash indie type feel to uh their student their uh you know their company anyway not studio their whole company is very much they're trying to not be that, um, yeah. like actively, and because um, you know another uh, company that I think kind of fits the bill a little bit too. I mean, they're very much more genre specific, but Blumhouse, Blumhouse kind of does the sure. same thing, and a lot of people don't appreciate Blumhouse more than I think they should. <laughs> I think they're kind of underrated. Um, because I just like the idea of, uh, the main guy just basically saying, oh, we want to do this big thing. We want to make this huge, like, like, uh, universe movie and everything. He's like, you get $8 million. I mean, you get $8,000. You do what you need to do with that. Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm-hmm. but we need more. No, no. He's like, no, you don't. You make, you make, you do what you can with that. And mind you, that could be a good or bad thing, but with a lot of, um, it forces people, I think, to be a little creative. And, um, 
and I and I also appreciate that too. I know a lot of horror heads do that too because they love like practical effects. Yeah. And while while I like practical effects too, I, I don't like them near as much as like some people that they have comic cons. I mean, not comic cons, but they have conventions specifically, like horror conventions specifically for practical effects. It's, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where like the discourse around practical effects versus CGI is uh, a little disingenuous to me because mm-hmm. it's almost never one or the other. It's almost always both. You know, it's practical effects that are supplemented with CGI, whether that's just removing pads that make the stunt safer or mm-hmm. if it's, you know, removing wires or other uh, effects things that, uh, you know, made it possible. Yeah. If it's hey, we filmed this uh, element, but we added a digital background. Or mm-hmm. if it's like we shot all these different practical plates, but now we need to composite them digitally. Like, there's so much that goes into it. And when people complain about bad CGI, it's almost never the fault of CGI. We basically have perfect CGI now. Uh, we well, can... After Avatar, it's like, okay. <laughs> we kind of arrived there. It's just a matter of like implementing it now. Totally. Like, I think Thanos in Infinity War, uh, you know, is yeah. flawless, basically. Oh, like, yeah. he is absolutely convincing. Uh, and it's just a matter of time and budget and making sure that digital artists are able to bring things up to the, the quality. And also, of course, the skill of other technicians for, like, when shooting those base plates, making sure that the lighting and the composition is all correct so that everything is going to... Speaking speaking of the the title of this part of this episode is totally. putting everything together. It's not just one. You can't Oh, the, despite a lot of people saying that, like, for example, for just Avatar one, I'm not even going to Avatar two yet, mm-hmm. but just Avatar one is why a lot of people, why it was kind of like a spark in a pan is the visuals. But yeah, the reason why the visuals worked half the time is because it was in tandem with a lot of other things like this, you know, you can say what you will about the acting, but the it's when you look behind the scenes and you look at the rigs they're wearing, the actors, mm-hmm. and you're like, how can you act in that? Like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and act convincingly in that. I'm like, yeah, they bring that up. The environmental artists did it like did a lot of heavy lifting. Um, you know, even even uh what's his name? Even the guy himself uh with his engineering prowess he made cameron yeah james cameron i'm forgetting a lot of people's names right now i know who i'm talking about (laughs) but but yeah even with him and his like engineering eye making everything look look believable in that world yeah because you could go real hardcore you could go starship troopers (laughs) you know craziness but he's like no let's bring it down a little bit People, you know, and I do like that idea, like, because he could have made everybody making wearing spacesuits and stuff in that movie. Yet the most that he had to do was just have everybody wear an air mask, which I think is so clever it, to me, because it's like, OK, this is different enough. And and just the thought process in that, just mm-hmm. the thought process and the whole idea of putting everything together. And the more I like try to, you know, make my own stuff. The more I work on my own projects and everything, the more I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta talk to people. 
I got to see how this stuff, not just do my own research because that's too easy. And you get, you start smelling your own, you know, <laughs> your own supply. You get high on your own supply, even doing your own research. And, but at the same time, I would love to talk to actual authors of books because they basically do that. So I'm like, you don't co I mean, well, I know there's co-authors to books. Yeah, but, there super are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know there are. But, I mean, to me, that would seem a lot easier to do than to have just a single author writing, like, a series of books or something. Yeah. I mean, which it is, is done. You know, like, obviously incredibly difficult, you know. Yeah. Uh, some authors are phenomenally prolific, and some people are George Martin and just, like, <laughs> get lost in the weeds so much. Yeah. And it's just like, boy, we've been there. We've talked about, like... Uh, okay, we're writing a story, and then both of us like stop and we're like, How does mail get delivered? And then we have to <laughs> oh, we man. spend a week on absolute bullshit. You would, you would do that to me all the time. Awful, awful. You would do that to me all the time <laughs> when we were in school, when we were yeah. in college, and I would give you this huge, big world that I yep. just created off the top of my head. And then you would say, Okay. How are people getting from point A to point B? I was like, shit. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's good because like, you know, as much as as much as we're memeing about it and whatnot, it made me actually a better artist because I would have to think. And yeah. having that collaborative spirit is extremely important. The more I'm you know, the more I'm into it, the more I'm like, yeah, I need to work with others. Not a lot of others, mm -hmm. which is why I like not tiny studios. I don't like just one or two. This game was made by two people. I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, I will never be that. That's cool, oh, but I sure, can sure, never sure. do that. I know. Like, I'm never going to do that. But, like, there are a number of, like, impressive video games oh, that have come oh, out recently. Man. That's just, like, tiny, tiny. Hollow Knight was, like, six people. Yeah. Signalis was, like, was guys, two. Salt and Sanctuary was two. Yeah, I'm like, guys, what stop. Stop this. <laughs> <laughs> You're making us all look bad and feel bad about ourselves and how I, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> but then also, on the other side of that, you look at it, it's like, it took them seven years to create this. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That, that sounds you, so much. It, 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 you have to have so much like invest it's not just about investment it's about keeping yourself in the game mentally physically yeah. like i just watched holding a, yourself accountable i just looked up something on the internet there's a guy who made an entire cg movie that's crazy by himself he like liquidated all of his assets almost <laughs> and it was just, it looks good and i'm like oh my goodness stop people, don't do people this people don't understand the <laughs> absolutely insurmountable amount of work that goes into creating the most bullshit art like oh, <laughs> if man. you're just like i want to create a cgi short and it's gonna look like dog shit i want to make roly-poly oli uh, <laughs> stop uh, stop it like, you stop gotta, on you, that. i love roly-poly oli <laughs> shut up <laughs> But it, but it's it's incredibly simple, right? It's, yeah, it's easy. very simple. It's how, how difficult could it be? And then like you go to try to do it, and you're like, oh my god, I need to learn twelve disciplines. I need yeah. to learn modeling, texturing, UV wrapping, rigging, animation, timing, camera placement, just timing, timing it, just timing in general, <laughs> script writing, like yeah. cinematography, like. And, over and over and over, like having to learn new disciplines from scratch. And you're talking about a children's show. And we know we, man, what do we talk about off, off mic? Bluey. 
What is everybody talking oh, yeah. about? Bluey. It's the best you children's show You know what a good children's show looks like now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the other stuff that we put up with, not everything, because I think people are being a little dishonest because I'm like, not everything back in the day was trash. But, no. <laughs> but compared to Bluey now, now we have a better, the bar has been raised to where not totally. a lot of things reach, reach or surpass that bar now. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, PBS, you were skimping on a lot of your stuff that you said <laughs> was good, but yeah. let's be honest, you didn't put your heart as much as you could into it because, like I said, this is a children's show, and yet it has, we recognize, people recognize, not only adults, because that's easy, pleasing kids, that's a harder, that's a harder bar. That's, that's tough. Yeah, especially nowadays when kids are so bombarded with all kinds of stuff in their face, and they, and they, without even knowing, are starting to get wise about what they watch and what they don't watch. So then you mm -hmm. have Bluey, which pleases both adults and kids. And you're like, how does that happen? And then you look up the stuff, and I'm like, one, they're in Australia. I don't know what Australia is smoking. But <laughs> they, they seem to be on a roll now with animation. It's uh -huh. crazy. Yeah, it's like you look behind the scenes, because I saw a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff on that show. And they... Yeah. It's literally what we've been talking about. It's a collaborative effort. The reason why Bluey is so half the reason why Bluey is so good is because there is a lot of people like saying, "Oh, I had this experience. Oh, I had this experience. Oh, I like this. Oh, mm -hmm. this is good." Mm -hmm. It's not just from one life. It's from many lives, and they put it all into the perfect family. <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh, wow. Okay, totally. <laughs> that's uh, why it works." Corey, I do love that you're just like. Why is Bluey so good? Number one, damn, they Australia. do be from Australia. Yeah, though. Australia. <laughs> Australia, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Blue, Bluey is so impressive on so many levels to me because it does really thread that needle uh, of like being for adults and for kids at the same time Which in a way that like Shrek does not, where it's like. Yeah mostly kitty bullshit but then every once in a while they're just like haha the bad guy's name is lord fuckwad <laughs> like yeah sure. of course okay. yeah <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny we 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 you know we joke sure. about that but man that's funny but like, like the first no, one is funny <laughs> it is like it is funny like i'm not saying that yeah. it's not i'm just saying that like it doesn't thread the needle of like equally appealing to kids and adults like yeah. the dreamworks thing for a lot of years was like mostly make a movie for kids but then throw in a joke for for dad you know well i mean before that um i would say bef at, like recently it's been like that a lot before that during like the first shrek era and everything it was mostly adults making fun of disney um sure, so sure. Like, it was geared a little bit more towards adults, and it was animated, so people thought kids could watch it and get all of their stuff. Not saying that kids can't, kids couldn't watch it and be like, oh my goodness, shield your eyes, type thing. No, sure, kids sure. just wouldn't get a lot of the jokes, because it would be over their head. But mm -hmm. now it's definitely gone towards that whole, oh, it's mostly kiddie stuff with, you know, a couple... You know who does, you know who does that a lot? Um... Um, the the people that made like the minions and um, illumination, yeah, yeah illumination they're, they're, they're does that a lot. Accurate, like, and that's unfortunate because I'm like illumination, you don't have to do this, and they're like, uh, yeah, we do. We can't make money unless we do. <laughs> I'm like, nobody wanted the minions, nobody wanted that movie. <sighs> the box office would say otherwise. Yeah, apparently. I know exactly. I don't know. 
it's just like, oh, why? Guys, please. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's, you know, comes down to our, like, art versus market forces thing again. Yeah. Uh, where, like, uh, that's fine. I, it can exist. But, like, I just don't want to be involved with it. Well, uh, here, let's, let's, let's build off of that, though. Uh, not in that direction, but marketing. Marketing and making in the behind-the-scenes marketing. Sure. I, I want to throw this question at you. What is appropriate for that? Because you can't just, you have a good idea. How do you market it? Because you have to market it somehow. But, you know, how does, how does something like, for example, how did something like Signalis just market their game? Or did they just put it out and say, I hope people watch it. I mean, I hope people play it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, like they certainly, Indie, like indie video game marketing is something that I, I have more of a finger on the pulse of because I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I was on Twitter for a while mm -hmm. promoting my own work in progress tabletop games. And, and you know, uh, there would certainly be tons of YouTube channels or uh, Twitter accounts for work in progress games. And they would have things where they're sharing screenshots and they're sharing GIFs and they're sharing concept art mm -hmm. and showing the development of the game as marketing. Like the behind the scenes was the marketing. Yes. Which I think is really cool, especially for small studios, for small budgets, because you're not able to you can't hire Blur to make a trailer for you. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you've oh, got man. to, to <laughs> rope people in with with something else. And for a lot of people, me included, like seeing that process of uh the process of becoming where it's mm -hmm. something that you know is rough and weird and then it turns into something concrete like that's a fascinating process that's something that i love doing um lilith walter who made the bloodborne playstation demake <laughs> uh is incredible like very good very regular at giving behind the scenes updates and showing the work in progress both for Bloodborne PSX and now for Bloodborne Cart. Yeah, Bloodborne Cart. Like, just rules, just kicks ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I love seeing that where it's like the other day, it was just like worked on a title screen, you know? And it's just showing the process of mm -hmm. creating this like big splash logo. Uh, that stuff is really cool to me. And that stuff does sell me on it. That does make me excited. And it endears me to creators. There are creators who I support on Patreon who it's like, I don't really want to play your games, but like, I like seeing you make stuff and I like watching you be creative. Okay. And that's worth something to me. That is another question that I want to throw out to you then, because that's a good point. The idea of supporting the artist but not the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, for example, like for, I guess, uh, Bloodborne cart, who was asking for that? How does she know to make that? Uh, to put so much work into that? And <laughs> Well, okay, so there's a real answer to that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. But <laughs> right. So the real answer to that is like one people had been irony posting about that because okay. it's just <laughs> on on its face like an absurd idea. Like yeah, Bloodborne is the least. You want to put a cart racer on it? Like it's like what would be the least appropriate thing to get uh, a cart racer? And the answer is Bloodborne and The Last of Us. <laughs> <laughs> the Which... Last of Us might be a really big problem controversial. <laughs> the Last of Us team racing would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh but you know uh so so obviously there's just an irony there but then on april fools 
mm-hmm. uh, Lilith put out a just a, a goofy demo trailer, mm-hmm. like making Bloodborne cart and just being like, ha, I made this in 48 hours and it's just a goof, but like, here's a lap Pe- and you can drive yeah. around and it's got like a sick remix of the clerics based thing, <laughs> which has like the sick, like Mario part cart, like yeah. jazz, jazz riffs yeah. in it. Uh, and people lost their minds. People were just like this unironically we, kicks we, ass. Yeah, we, need, we need a big thing like this. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, like a lot of these things like just started off as jokes started off as goof got some traction and then Mm -hmm. it was like oh maybe maybe this is worth exploring more sincerely and like it's weird to say it genuinely looks cool like it's doing cool unique stuff that i haven't seen in other kart racers it looks like Mm -hmm. something that i want to play uh yeah and but that's but i'm always thinking that's weird to me because i'm like i thought people just didn't care about like cart racers anymore and then <sighs> all of a sudden people are like no i care about cart racers now i'm like so is it the fact that people because i know this is a general statement and a lot mm-hmm. i hear this all the time and i hate when people say this because i'm like please clarify i don't know because i don't know what that means is people just want to play good games shut up <laughs> like i i hate that because i'm like you could play tic-tac-toe then. Tic-tac-toe is a good game. Why do you think people keep making the same chess? Digital chess. Games chess 2. On, yeah, the it's sequel literally, to chess. Yeah, chess 2, electric boogaloo. I'm like, I'm dead serious. Like, why do people keep doing the same stuff? And I'm like, okay, so you got to clarify. People like playing good games. Okay, that's that's fine. But then... You know, you have remakes down the, you know, down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. and eventually people get sick of that and they're like, no, I don't want this. This is a great game. Like, because this is the whole thing. We're coming into this season right now of Resident Evil 4 is the best game ever again. And I'm like, yep. yeah, sure. And we're just okay. off the heels of Dead Space remake being the yeah. best game ever. Yeah, I'm like, guys. Uh, and then okay. The Last of Us just got a remake, which is... Uh, Metroid Prime just got a just got a remake and people are discovering that again and I'm like yeah, yeah. wait what? <laughs> uh, and it's like uh, yeah it's difficult because like there is like probably a saturation point but mm-hmm. when people talk about like ah so and so is dead you know uh, like kart racers are dead adventure games are dead what they actually mean is like there hasn't been a big budget mainstream success of this in a while. So it's mm-hmm. just like, ah, AAA horror is dead. And that was kind of true for a while in mm-hmm. the sense that, like, yeah. Nobody after, was looking for it. After Dead Space 3, like, between Dead Space 3 and Resident Evil 7, it was pretty slim pickings as far as, like, the AAA. But, like, that doesn't mean that the genre went away. People, yeah. you know, ah, sports games are dead. And then the Tony Hawk's remake came and out that's, that's a and sports game like, and people are like i don't like sports games but you shit, like this game shit, shit i like yeah <laughs> shit i like sports games now i mean this and i've always had like i don't want to say a problem with that because that makes that makes I, I i guess this is partly because like of how i felt about certain games like for example going like circling back to Double Fine and Psychonauts, which is one of my mm. all-time favorite games ever, yeah. uh, like top five. Um, 
and that's a platformer. That is a pl- straight up platformer slash collectathon almost. Mm-hmm. And people were like hardcore. I hate collectathons, and I'm like, they can be good. You just gotta have a good thing like they just did and they're like no no i'm like and then psychonauts 2 came out <laughs> and i was like see see yeah so i mean I'm like, it, it almost is never like the genre as a whole it's just like ah uh, we haven't gotten a, a really exceptional version of this in a while speaking of which we need breath of breaths of fresh air and that is going straight into breath of the wild that's why people are like oh my goodness <laughs> breath mm. of the wild is so good <laughs> and i'm like yeah sure but it's also like it's a very very fresh take on zelda and i think that's what was needed after like several i don't know 100 games on game on game boy <laughs> zelda <laughs> game boy i i love minish cap and even i was getting I like really it. sick of it with spirit tracks so give me a break <laughs> it's yeah uh i mean it, it's again like zelda games never went away and they never stopped doing their thing but like they yeah. did change kind of what they were about and what uh what experience they were selling mm-hmm. and then breath of the wild being like this is a game about exploration and discovery first and foremost like mm-hmm. that that was very appealing to a lot of people including oh, sure me. you could go fight ganon right now just go over to the castle yeah. and kill him and they're and you know you got the speedrunners are like okay yeah. <laughs> and just do it i mean that's what i was gonna say is like watch a speed run of breath of the wild it is amazing <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> I'm like, how do these people figure this out? There's a wonderful animated short, uh, which is like an animated Breath of the Wild speed run. Oh, you're uh, talking about uh, Terminal Montage, that's right? That's the one, yeah. I love Terminal Montage stuff. I love him. He's so great. Uh, but uh, Breath of the Wild speed run specifically is so great. We're just like at the end of doing like this insane shit. It's just like, Link, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love like the guy, the guy. The, uh, I forget like the the king, the king or so. He's the, like, what is he doing? Holy hell! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, just go watch that guy. Like people out there listening, go watch that. It's very charismatic and like, and the speed run has moved on. It doesn't look like what the speed run looks like, but it's what the speed run used to look like, and it was oh, very yeah. accurate at the time. Oh, it I was love really him. Funny. I love him rolling through the shrines in order yeah, to get d- to d- the d- elevator d- faster. D- <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, this is, um, like, uh, this is why I really, the, the creative process to, that all of this goes into for, you know, just all kinds of games. John, like, genre games and all this kind of stuff. And I, I love the fact that we're starting to see all different types of stuff. Yeah. Because... You know, it gives people like you and me and all the other creatives out there that are just budding or trying to do something unique, trying to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And it gives you like some hope that it's like, no, you can people people are out there and they're going to lo- they're going to like this stuff. Like, I never thought that like we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. It's like I never thought that like the whole Mega Man genre. Mm hmm was going to come back because people were after Mega Man 11, people were like, okay, that was cute, but 
okay. And then yeah. you have some of these like. But then smaller... the mighty number nine dropped. It was the biggest game oh, of all time. I think that was a big. That was like the big hit. That was like <laughs> your Resident Evil Six when it oh, came out. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh, ouch! This is not what we wanted. And then you know that other game came out, mm-hmm. like the smaller one. And then I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I wanted. And they just put a l- couple of little new things in there to make it fresh in a hot cool like a hot soundtrack and everything and i think that's what resident evil did the resident evil 4 did well the remake that's you have a couple of new things but otherwise it's the same game oh i disagree i think that the resident evil 4 remake looks extremely different in a very good way really Uh, okay like i i think that like it's making tons and tons of, of smart deviations from the original uh like in comparison to like the Dead Space remake and the Last of Us remake that just came out, where those are very faithful to the originals, like this feels like a a, a much bigger departure. Um, I would say that because now that I think about it, yeah, you you are right because I think uh, Resident Evil Two remake did the same thing, where it's very similar, but there's enough of, de- of a departure where it's like, oh, all right, I see what you guys are doing. Yeah. It has but its it own still identity, feels like, yeah. which, is, which is the point to me. I guess. Uh, we, we've talked about remakes and stuff, so I'm not yeah. going to relitigate. But, like, uh, I'm excited that it doesn't look identical. I'm yeah. excited that it's not The Last of Us remake. Yeah, which is basically just upscaling everything. Yeah. And I played uh, I played The Last of Us once, and I don't... I have no desire really to play that again. It doesn't have very much replayability. So I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it when it finally comes to PC because I haven't played it since it came out. But like, mm. uh, yeah, I do not have the undying love for it that uh, some people do. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the narrative, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, all right, yeah. um, narrative's fine. I want to I want to experience the crafting loop again because it's like one of the best exa- genuinely one of the best examples of crafting in games. Um, oh, that's a lo- Man, I remember crafting in that game. That was a pain in the ass. No, it's good. <laughs> Making you stop and put your backpack on the ground, I'm like that oh, is my shit. That's exact. Uh, no, that's good. <laughs> that's the good shit. Oh. <laughs> uh. I understand why. I just don't like it. <laughs> you can make a Molotov or a health pack, but you can't make yeah. both. And I always made it. I Tough always choice. made a health pack because coward. I was <laughs> no. I was smart because it's only cowardly if you're not good at the game. <laughs> well, if you're you're good at the game, you don't need the health pack now, do you? Yeah. Dipshit. <laughs> See, I'm, but I'm not good at the game, so I need. <laughs> Checkmate me. (laughs) (laughs) I knew my limits. (laughs) Let's uh, let's take the conversation Uh, and steer it more towards like things that are special to us specifically. So you already brought it up. You already referenced it. I'll we'll we'll get into it maybe. But like for me, like it's the Lord (laughs) of the Rings. Oh, well, that's where we're going. Yeah, that's where we're going. We're heading into the weeds. (laughs) The, the behind the scenes for the Lord of the Rings extended editions were genuinely my first film class, and they are why I am an animator today. Like, they put me on this path in a very literal, specific, distinct way. People talk about Star Wars in the same breath, where it's like, this is why I, I do what I do. Um, for me, it was the Lord of the Rings, and it was specifically the behind the scenes features that showed 
the creation of the bigatures and it showed like mm-hmm. the process of animating Gollum and it showed like the the back and forth like fights and arguments between the different animation teams trying to to one up each other and trying to push the technology um all of that stuff was like incredible to me and like hugely influential to me as a person so uh yeah uh throwing it over to you like what ones were were special for you like what stuff um, influenced you i i think we've talked about this uh before off off mic uh not in very much detail though uh but I, one of the biggest things for, because we're speaking in terms of animation, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things for me uh, was uh, the Prince of Egypt and just early DreamWorks in general. Sure. Early DreamWorks in general was hugely influential to me because I was like, this is the kind of animation character design that I really like. Mm-hmm. This is pushing the genre because back then they pushed it. Um yeah. This is putting it um, action sequences and action animation in a very stylized, unique way that feels good. It doesn't just look good. It feels like the action sequences in Sinbad are phenomenal still. Looking at, the, I'm like, this is so smooth. This is buttery smooth. And I'm like, I want to do this. So looking at those like behind the scenes and not only with like how the voice actors were acting, and I appreciate yeah. that, but also just the animation of, oh, no, we slowed things down here and then we sped things up here. And then, you know, we wanted everybody to have a curve. Everybody, every um, character model, ev- like everybody was just curves all over the place. And I was like, that's really clever. That's that's a good way to do hair. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how they animated uh, Eris in Sinbad. It's oh, like, her hair oh is so fucking cool. <laughs> oh, I mean, and half of that was the acting. Yeah. They they loved how she acted the the role. And I was like, just make her all smoke. Just make it like, I'm like, oh, that's so good. Why didn't I think of that? Oh, because I'm not an animator yet. I want to be an animator now. <laughs> and it's like, you know. Stuff like that. And like I said, Prince of Egypt was a huge one because it was um, I I liked one of the biggest things with that is not only the voice acting, but the music in that movie mm-hmm. felt very good to how in the lighting, the music in the lighting to me was phenomenal in that movie. And and probably is, is worth it, saying, like, it was a huge distinction from Disney at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they definitely started pulling away and saying, we can do our own thing. Mm-hmm. Disney is successful in their own way, and we're going to be successful in our way. And um, I wish, like, it was very short-lived because then you got, like, The Road to El Dorado, which is another super unique, super, like, influential movie for me because mm-hmm. of the music and how it, they just animated dancing. You know how yeah. I am with, like, animated dancing. Oh, and sure. I'm just Cats like, don't dance. Like, oh, nah. That, and, I mean, that's what I, that's the second one I was going to say. Cast Don't oh, Dance was... <laughs> yeah, that was... That's one of the biggest... Like, it's my top five... One of my top five favorite animated movies, just movies in general of all time because mm-hmm. of how unique it was. Like, I don't think there is a movie like that. Like, I've seen, like, yeah. people try to do that, but, 
like for recently the bad guys that just came out where it's like animals mm-hmm. and humans just doing stuff and not even thinking twice about it type yeah. thing i appreciate that in movies because it's like throwing that kind of logic out the door but that's not the most important thing so don't worry about it type mm-hmm. like issue and i appreciate that but just the amount of movement in uh cats don't dance which if you haven't seen it uh audience please go see that for filmmaking in general <laughs> just it's go so see it breezy too it's like oh. 80 minutes it's oh, like it's, a, it's, it's so such a snack yeah but it's a healthy snack. It's a super it's a healthy snack. snack. It's yeah, yeah, but like just like the movement. Oh, uh, the movement in that in impactful. that film is fantastic. Um nobody stops. If you watch that movie, nobody stops. Everybody's doing something. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. like and doing something pretty on par with their character too, and I appreciate that. I'm like this is so good. And just like I said, I'm big into action lines and curves and everything. And yeah, everybody is everybody has super solid action lines and poses in that movie. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's something that I talk about all the time, like specifically with game animation. Like I'll be mm -hmm. watching game animation. I'm like, man, this looks cool. Posing is not that strong. How is the silhouette? They need to push the silhouette. I talk about the silhouettes constantly. (laughs) How is the silhouette? Uh, You're talking to (laughs) fighting game guy. So I'm like, (laughs) that is everything. Silhouettes are everything in fighting games, especially 2D fighting games. So I was talking to my friend Moon, uh, shout out to Moon, and talking about just like how important silhouettes are. Mm -hmm. Like really, really important. It's like silhouettes and posing, strong posing. Yes, Um, yes are hugely important to the visibility and readability to it. And like, I don't know if I was explaining myself poorly, but he was just like, mm, I don't know about that. And I'm like, I will dedicate my life <laughs> to making you see this and see how important it is. <laughs> like it's, it's important. Ex- it's, it's extremely so important. important. It Like, and that's like with even like live action stuff, it's a little yeah. easier, but you know, it's still, you don't want everybody. You don't want anybody being stiff. Here, and people a, can look. You can look stiff real easy. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people realize how stiff you can look real easy, and you think you're being, you know, really loose. All right, listener. Like, I know that you've got <laughs> headphones in while you're walking to the grocery store. Walk normally right now. Walk in a way that's not weird. Instantly walk. Now weird. you're overthinking it, aren't you? Yeah. Now you're fucking it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, you can do that with anything. Hey, take a box off the shelf yeah. normally. Yeah. Take a bite of a sandwich. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. like don't do it weird, you freak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you freak. <laughs> Challenge level impossible. Yeah. I mean, it's but it's I mean, that is the I mean, we learned this when we were in animation class is yeah. half of that is acting. Acting is yourself. Acting. Animation Doing yourself. is acting. Yeah. Like you got to yeah. do it yourself. Like, like one of our professors would always say, hey, have a mirror by you or yeah. something like that. Or for facial expressions and stuff yeah. like that. Or if you're not making weird faces, like or doing a mirror, weird hand gestures, if you're not like walking in slow motion and trying to detect where the center of gravity is as you do a turn, like. And then, walking, know, and then walking the same path, but differently. Yeah. <laughs> How can you walk the same path 
five times differently. If you're not in the grocery store and watching someone else walk weird because they have a podcast that's like inceptioning like bad walking into their brain and being like, that's oh, an interesting man. walk. How are they doing that? Is it because they're shifting their weight? <laughs> yeah. Is it are their they, own weight? Is it the timing? Is it the spacing? Is it is their it, emotion? How are they feeling? Oh, they're not twisting their shoulders. That's <laughs> yeah. weird. Like their shoulders are are like are hunched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's changing how they're walking. That's fascinating. Like, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that like animators, animators are thinking about just, constantly. Oh no! Wait, we start seeing. I'm telling you, I I love character design. I start seeing in shapes. Yeah, totally. Everybody has a unique shape. They're mm -hmm. made up of many shapes, but everybody, I see silhouettes everywhere. And I'm like, huh. Totally. I totally. can draw that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's an interesting chin. Oh, I like the way yeah, that that exactly. hairline <laughs> tangents with their, like, yeah. uh, uh, the rest of them. Like, there, there's, uh, yeah. like, this is all super, super cool, fascinating stuff. And, like, yeah, like, we, we are not the first people who realize this. Like, we're, we're talking about this stuff because we're professionals mm -hmm. who who went to school for this and like understand yeah. this stuff but like again our first lessons were, were from this stuff like the first time that i heard people talking about this uh another yeah. one because you were talking okay. about cats don't dance yeah uh which is about animals working in hollywood of course my brain went to who framed roger rabbit oh man and Oh man! Every bit of behind the scenes oh, about man. that movie <laughs> is fucking wild. Uh, it's wild. <laughs> oh man! Just just mentioning that movie, I'm like, I can never work in this industry because I am not this level. I am not oh, at this level. These I mean, are these people were on another level in terms of creating something super unique. Yeah, and I was like, like, wow. Director Robert Zemeckis, who has gone too far uh, into the delightful world of visual effects but oh, like yeah. at that time was like the perfect person for yeah. it like really considering and being mindful about visual effects and how they can be integrated to enhance the story combined with richard williams one of the greatest animators mm -hmm. uh in recent memory uh being the animation lead and like again th like this comes back to what i was talking about before about how do you make something look good time and budget he had the time oh, he had he the had budget the time. and they went wild yeah. there's the the shot where um the lamp is swinging back and Let's forth in the interrogation room and you stupid. can see like so there's a translucency <laughs> yeah. to like roger's ears yeah, like the way so that stupid. they interact where he's like being yeah. pushed under the water and it's like you have the actors interacting with props and there's like a gun floating around and then the sink is like air hoses that are spraying water into his yeah. face and it's crazy and then seeing the animators then take that and match character to it mm -hmm. and make it into a performance is the craziest thing in the world like it's so involved it's so technical and it's, the whole yeah, time so you're technical. dealing with this incredibly difficult problem all these difficult problem solvings you can't lose sight of story or character and it's like Ah, that's so cool. And, and, and you know what's funny about that? And this may sound really weird with the example I'm about to give, mm -hmm. but that movie could... I mean, that wasn't... Now, mind you, that wasn't the first movie to do like that kind of work, like no. rotoscoping or what have you. Or not rotoscoping, but that kind of animation and live action stuff together. Yeah. Um. Uh, but... That movie walked 
crawled, scraped by, so something like Space Jam could try to run. Um, <laughs> okay. And like I said, okay. I, that's weird. I think that Roger Rabbit ran so that no, Space no. Jam well, could. Here, well, like I said, I, I'm not. I'm not meaning that specific movie. Yeah, because yeah. we have other better examples, but everybody remembers Space Jam as being a great romp. If not, it's not a good movie per se. No. And I, but I think half of it is because Michael Jordan can't act. But no. it, it's I a love, bad love, movie that uh, yeah. is tons of fun. Yes. Um, if you're in the right mood for it, like Space see, Jam. See, now is a great something time. like for me, I think uh, Osmosis Jones is way better. Mm. I know a lot of people they have mixed feelings about that movie. However. I enjoy. I still. I recently watched it again, and I'm like, yeah, this movie isn't bad. Like, this movie isn't like super good, but I don't think this. I think this movie is pretty unique, and mm. I just like the idea, like, just the the universe, if I can say, the world that they created and yeah. stuff like. It's very. I think it's very unique for putting for doing that type of, you know. Uh, animation style or animation in general just live action animation putting it together and i'm like okay that's cool because it's technically not being in there at the same time but you still have that you know i guess marriage for lack of a better term yeah you have doing both at once the, the physical and the animated world. yeah because then you have stuff like Monkey Bone. You're like, Ugh, or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I feel like I deserve to. I, I need to watch Monkey Bone because <laughs> yeah. I watched you the trailer watched Monkey for, Bone before. No, I watched a trailer for it recently, though. And I'm like, this is demented and might be very interesting, even if it's not good. It's not good, but it's very interesting. It's, mm. it's I wouldn't say it's bad, though, either. It's just. For me, I would say it's forgettable. Sure. Um, as far as the actual story yeah. and stuff goes i'm just talking about like from a production level like that's why i would be interested yeah. in let's it. speak let's, of which okay okay i'm gonna let you go there i'm gonna let you cook <laughs> okay put on put on your uh, uh black dynamite conspiracy <laughs> oh no <face. laughs> as we all know monkey bone was directed by henry Selick. henry Selick also worked on Coraline <laughs> for Leica Studios. And the Leica Studios behind the scenes are world-class shit. Oh, boy. Leica, mm, boy. I, I love watching... Leica knows that what they do is fascinating to watch. And, and hard so to do. <laughs> their their post credit sting are them uh -oh. just showing off their phenomenally impressive rigs and puppeteering. Yeah. Like when you get to the end of Coraline and they show those like the 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 mouse oh, yeah, the, the mice the, the, dream, the mice yeah the coolest shit in the world you get to the end of Kubo yeah. and it shows the giant I was just skeleton. about to say that the giant <sighs> skeleton in Kubo is it's what's so super cool. impressive I was like this is amazing I yeah. didn't know it was this big and they're like yeah this it's this is this big enormous and they're uh, making it look good and I'm like oh yeah. man. Oh man, like uh, one of my favorite behind the scenes, by the way, for speaking in terms of, you know, Leica mm -hmm. is Paranorman stuff. Yeah. Underrated. To me, that's super underrated. I love that movie. But yeah. the behind the scenes stuff in that, doing lightning and doing yes. like those kinds of effects in stop motion is brilliant. Effects animation <laughs> like, in stop motion wow. is the coolest thing. Uh, I'm like, this is really cool. <laughs> I know. And like I, yeah. I'm an animator, 
And I like to be able to like pick apart visual effects and be like, how mm-hmm. do they do this? Okay, I mostly get it. For most visual effects, I mostly get it. Leica does black magic where it's like Yeah, yeah. That's a stop motion that's a stop motion mind mindset. Yeah. I I um I'm I don't think I ever told you this, but I talked like obviously when we were still in school, mm. but I talked to Brad about like for oh, I had a convert like a long conversation. I forget what I was in his office for, but I had a long conversation about what he did in stop motion because he's a stop motion yeah. like specific. We're talking and, about our uh, college professor, oh, yeah, Brad. Sorry, yeah, and like he said, yeah, he was just talking about all kinds of concepts that I'm like, I never would have thought of that. And he's like, he just shrugged. He's like, that's that's what he really likes to do, mm-hmm. and. That's what's funny about it. Like this kind of circles back to what we're kind of talking about of the collaborative spirit of making projects and, you know, art in general is he just has that mind for it. Now imagine him with a couple other people that just have a mind for what they do and you create something great. And even, even decent, even good creating more can only lead to kind of going up Um, because we, you know, for example, of just talking Robert Zemeckis, where yeah. he kind of lost his mind <laughs> with the toys that he had. But mm. to be honest, I don't think he's like, I rarely use the word hack for no, people no. because I'm like, no, people still have it in there. They just got lost in the industry. And that like, happens a lot. Totally. Like, even directors who I don't like, you know, your Michael Bays and your Zack Snyders and stuff, they're not hacks. They know what they're yeah. doing. They're t- skilled, talented people. They're just making art that isn't for me that I don't it, care yeah. for. Or, or or art that they don't necessarily... Like we were talking about before with Michael Bay. He's used... Michael... For everybody who doesn't know, Michael Bay was a you know, music video guy. Yeah. He did a lot of bombastic music videos. Not saying that that can't produce good stuff because we just have an example of that happening everywhere. All like the shoot (laughs) everything everywhere. All at once was by music video guys. So yeah, it can be good. And Michael Bay did do something that was good. You ever seen pain and gain? That movie is hilarious. And that is perfect for him. That is perfect for him. So it's not like it can't happen. They just need to, I hate to use this phrase though, stay in your lane. I hate to use that phrase because that means that you have to do only what people say you should be doing and not try to venture out and do new things. Uh, Because I got that forever. Like even when I was well out of, uh, you know, college and stuff actually doing legit freelance work and stuff and people would co- still come up to me and say oh you're you're an animator because this is when i was teaching mm-hmm. and i was like oh you're you oh you're an artist oh you you don't do you know that show the boondocks and i would immediately in my in my head roll my eyes right. in the back of my head i'm like yes i know the boondocks it is good i enjoy aaron magruder but you know how I got into animation in the first place? Stuff like Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy old school Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry and all this kind of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's why I got interested. That's why I'm like, I could do that because, yeah. you know, I enjoy this stuff. I think I could do it. Then I watched Justice League. 
And I was like, yeah, awesome. I want to make something like this. And mm-hmm. then, it, you know, it just compounded on each other. We're talking, we're skipping over, I'm sorry, audience, but we're skipping over <laughs> one of the best examples of this that we're talking about right now. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about crazy nonsense? I have every art book. I, you know, I, I, I have I the say, Blu-rays on that have the special features on it. Like those every one of Avatar them. art books are phenomenal. Like yes. they are some of the best art books that I've seen because which like, is which still counts as behind the scenes stuff. Still yeah, counts no, as behind I the mean, scenes stuff. Like that, it's all part of the the thing. And I was I was about to bring up interviews with creators as well because oh, you're talking man. about like Chuck Jones and like yeah. you know part of our philosophy is like you know Chuck Jones making Looney Tunes and just being like we weren't really thinking about the audience. We were just making stuff that made us yeah, laugh. Yeah, stuff for us. And like <laughs> hearing those perspectives, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Like that, like, cool, of course. And like, yeah, you gambled uh, that people would vibe with you and you were correct. You were correct. Um, but like, yeah, those, those art books like are phenomenal. Like, because they really go into detail about like the process of character creation, like the pilot versus what the show ended up becoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they show lots and lots of frames of actual animation frames, like showing big long sequences of effects animation, like talking about like how we approached working with fire as a visual effect. And it's just like, Oh no. How how did we approach working with air? Totally. (laughs) That's even crazier. (laughs) The problems of like making something that's invisible. Yeah. Feel tangible and, and logical making yeah. those movements correspond with what's happening, which oh, is something the, you that... You know, in making, making those movements correspond with actual martial arts, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like, yeah, it's based off of that, but that's a lot harder. I, I watched them, because we're speaking of like the behind-the-scenes stuff, I watched them go over different martial arts that, you know, are highly influenced by yeah. that stuff in there. And yeah, they had to kind of make up their own but but not um, much like yeah, there's, not there's much. a really solid foundation of actual yeah. and i saw and i watched them do the stuff like do yeah. the moves actually get teachers in yeah. sifu and i'm like yeah see sifu, this is stuff Kisu, that i'm interested I in i always love i love martial arts cinema and all that kind of stuff so i got huge into that i'm like totally this is so awesome this is so like so- it's it's so cool to like be reading these stories about the behind the scenes and the production and just being like, oh, Toph is a totally self-taught earthbender. Mm-hmm. Therefore, her style is not correlated to any of the existing style. She has her own unique style that no yep. one else does this. No one else moves like this. And yeah. it's just like, that's, it's so cool. Like, yeah. uh, what, what, a, what a strong creative choice that like maybe your average audience member might not necessarily pick up on that distinction, but I think like you feel it, you feel that distinction. Yeah. You feel that there is something unique about her. It it gives her a a deeper sense of, um, of identity. Mm -hmm. It gives her a way deeper in all the main characters. I'm just going to say like the, the main cast, they all have that. If you start looking for it, you're like, Mm -hmm. Oh wow. They all have their little ticks. They're all little things that they do. And I'm like, see, that's how you knew they spent the most time on these characters type thing. Totally. And, you know, it it ends up being fantastic. And it gives a deeper and all of that is to add to the story 
all that is to add to the overall tone, all that is to add to the writing. Everything should, should work in, you know, yeah. unison. In, in service to, give you to a good larger work. goal. Yes, which is why when you watch something like the last Airbender live action movie, <laughs> right. you can immediately see the problems with it. Yeah. Why? Because because once you see something like that, it's like, okay, you can do it differently. I'm not saying that people can't do stuff differently and still have success. But he like the the creators of that, as much as they tried, and I'm just speaking in specifically about the martial arts and the uh, bending yeah. parts in that movie. Not anything else, just those two things. Why does it not work? Well, you you took out the one one of the big things with that is the speed. Martial arts isn't slow. It's so why does everything feel sluggish? So so like that's part of it. Um, the other thing. Well, I, yeah, I, I know there's like other things. But I, yeah. I know, I know. But like, <laughs> like I want to be clear that I still think that Avatar: The Last Airbender, specifically The Last Airbender, not even The Legend of Korra, which does reach some incredibly high highs when it comes to mm -hmm. animation and action animation specifically. Like, yes. I have lots of gripes about the structure and storytelling in that show, but like the actual action animation is impeccable. It looks incredible. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that there has been a, uh, a magic system in fiction <laughs> that I can <laughs> think of that like feels as kinesthetic as bending. Uh, like just the, the cause and effect, the way that you can see how oh. someone moves and how that results in like input to output. You yeah. Know? I know what you're talking about. Um, like it's the back and forth. It's the flow yeah. of it. Like, it's not just that I move it's I move like this and then that and causes then you move like this. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's while, it's, while yeah. I'm punching, <laughs> I'm twisting my arm and that causes the fire that I shoot out to twist correspondingly and yeah. then i'm using that tactically um like that kind of like concrete cause and effect uh and kinesthetic quality to it is unmatched i can't think of another example that like feels as good as that well yeah i was going to say it's it's the feeling of it because they made it look good yeah the saying that on paper sounds fine but they made it look good and that's what i think is the biggest like what's impressive about that mm. because why I, I can use a smaller example. It's a smaller example, but I can use this smaller example of the Harry Potter franchise, the, the live yeah. action movies, yeah. how they did wand work, how they did spell casting where they ended up and you and you told me this like years ago. It's, yeah. it's fencing. And mm. I'm like, Holy shit. It is fencing, and that's why it looks good. I was like, how did they figure that out? And I'm like, somebody likes somebody figured it out that that's how it should work. That's how it should look. Yeah. Because it's all fun and games when you're writing it in the book. That's fine. You can imagine whatever the hell you want. But making it look good, that's a completely different skill set. Somebody likes fencing in the, <laughs> in yeah. the choreography. And I think that's super impressive. Because they translated that into like almost everything. Now everything takes that, uh, takes that uh, that route basically. Unless you want to make something different, like completely different. Mm -hmm. 
So, and like, and, and here's the thing: like, I think that Harry Potter stuff like works up to a point. Like, I think that mm-hmm. uh, to to get into the weeds of it, like in Deathly Hollows Part One, there's like that shootout in the little diner. Oh, the and I and I bam! called it a shootout unintentionally, but that's what it is. It, yeah. It's like it's, it's a, a magical shootout. shootout. But like, I think that was like really cool and kinesthetic, and it felt good. Uh, all of the magic fights in the Fantastic Beasts feel like dog shit. They're really bad. Oh, oh no, they're they're not good. They're they're not good. And, but, and part of that is yeah. like the losing of like the creativity of the, the possibility space of of magic, where like it's been uh, we've lost so much that now it's just like shooting lasers or blocking lasers, and that's about it. Yeah. But like both of us talk about how awesome the uh Dumbledore versus Voldemort duel in Ooh, uh, Order of the Phoenix is yeah. because it's it's do- it's bending. It's doing bending shit. It is There's bending. There's a strong correlation between like the actions that they're taking and the results that are being output. And yeah. like that is so kinesthetic and cool and you can see like the thought process. You can see someone being like I attack this way and then they're like I will deflect this way and then I will take that momentum and turn it into something yeah. else. And it's, then it's, that back and yeah. forth but that's yeah and that's the that's why people still talk about that is that's one of the coolest parts of the entire franchise yeah and it's so short when you look at it now that that scene isn't long but it's so yeah it has a rhythm and the rhythm is really great it's like boom and then he's like ooh but then he and what i think is really great about that scene also is it shows strength and strength, as in, when I say that, I mean it shows level, levels yeah. to this. Everybody else is playing at a smaller level. These are the two best of the best. So yeah. what more can we show yeah. in if, this if system? If you're trying to show that like these people are distinct, you have to show that they are distinct and why they're distinct mm-hmm. and why no one else is, is playing on their level. And I think and, that it's really successful. And I think that's one of the reasons why... Um, like just going back a little bit to Cora is what more can you do after a certain point? What looks yeah. more cool after a certain point? And it's the same thing with like something like anime does is a lot like Dragon Ball Z. What more can you do after a spirit bomb? Oh, for sure. Nothing. I mean, I talk, I, I've talked many times about <laughs> like the, 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 the vorpal flaw of Dragon Ball Z to me. The thing that like, I can't really get past is that like, the first thing that happens in Dragon Ball Z is Vegeta is shown blowing up a planet and you can't <laughs> escalate from there. Like that's yeah. a, that's as big as you get. Like yeah. after that, like, Oh, I could blow up two what planets at the same time. Who yeah, gives a what shit? Else? Yeah. But I mean, the power level is too high, but anyway, enough about that. I wanted to get into one last thing. If it's going to be one last thing, um, because it's been on my mind and I wanted to say it, but we kept going and it's something that you like too, but it's something that another really big reason that got me into filmmaking and animation in general is um, I was watching a behind the scenes on The Secret of Nim. Sure. Um, and uh, I, I, they were talking about tone. And I don't know if it was... Uh, uh that wasn't bluth was it yeah it was don bluth it was don bluth um i don't know if it was him or one of the artists but he was talking about 
uh, listening to music to get you in a mindset. Yes. And I thought I was weird for the, and I'm being honest to goodness. Mm -hmm. I thought I was weird for doing this for the longest time because I would listen to certain music. I have a playlist on certain things that would give me certain visual, you know, visual aesthetics, basically. In my head, oh, this this track from this soundtrack from this movie yeah. would put is perfect for this scene and how this is framed and everything. And he said he did that. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm not weird. I'm I'm actually in the right right frame of mind for this. Yeah. I thought I was the only one doing this. And apparently that's just a thing. People people do that all the time. Totally. And I'm like, oh my goodness, music. It was a huge, a huge thing that got me into animation, too. Because, like I said, with the dancing and everything, that's great. Mm-hmm. But whenever I hear certain tracks from a lot of stuff, this is why I like, I'll download um, uh, original soundtracks real quick. Real quick. If I like a lot, a good majority of the music. Um, I have, uh, you know, the Unbreakable soundtrack on loop half the time mm. and that is another top five favorite uh movies of all time for me but um yeah i think that, that soundtrack is brilliant i think it is absolutely fantastic because of the individual like uh signals it gives with certain yeah. uh tracks in it like the weightlifting weightlifting um scene slash soundtrack uh track in that movie is probably one of the best uh, musical scores, if not musical scenes of all time, in my opinion. It, it, I don't know how they did it where it just, it's so uplifting, but it's so like cute and playful and like triumphant at the same time. And I mean, I'm sounding very ethereal right now, but this is how it made me feel when I watched it. And I was like, there has to be something to this. People had to have just known this type thing when they do animated stuff. And I'm like, and I looked, I see this and I'm like, wow, they do. They do the same thing I do. And I think that's a huge deal. I think that is a big deal. Totally. So, but like beyond even like what makes it into the final thing, like I certainly relate to like, uh, again, you're talking about it being like something that you heard, confirmed by other artists who do this Mm -hmm. like i every tabletop game that i've written i've had like okay what are some songs that feel right and it's like you're trying to find the vibe right Mm -hmm. so so um when i design when i make art just in general i am very focused on the the reaction that i want the player to have uh, the the thing that I want the audience to feel. Mm-hmm. And I try to bend all of my design in that direction. And so if I'm able to find a song that feels the way that I want it to feel, it's like, great, I'm just going to put this on loop. I'm going to absolutely fucking burn myself <laughs> out <laughs> on this. I'm going to get this song. Wop on loop. I'm going to find a 12-hour uh, uh, <laughs> extended version and just listen to it for literally all day. Yeah, uh, because I'm I'm trying to like get that vibe, get that feel. Yeah, um, 
And I, yeah, I think that's a real thing, like uh, for creative work, especially when you're trying to do something that's as ephemeral as, uh, you know, making someone else feel a certain way. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a, a real wisdom in getting yourself in the right place, getting yourself in the right mindset, getting yourself in the right mood. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, I, I do that all the time and mm-hmm. I continue to do that like to this day when creating my own like comic project, uh, comic project, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's very interesting. Like looping back to basically, you know, the entirety of this whole podcast is, is very interesting to see how many people, how people create things in general and just yeah. so much, so many disciplines from all over the place. So many backgrounds, so many, I mean, this mm. is literally what people are trying to preach now is the idea of we need more people at the table, different people at the table, totally. the creative table, because you make good stuff. And it sounds very generic. It sounds very like kumbaya-ish. And yeah, I get it. However, stuff that you you generally like, old older stuff, like for example, for example, everybody seems to love Justice League Unlimited. You know how many pe- different types of people worked on that shit? Two. I've s- just two. <laughs> just <laughs> I've answered the question. <laughs> no, there's like hundreds of people yeah, that yeah. had in it shows in the work. There's a reason why that re- that show resonates with so many people with so in so many different backgrounds and stuff. And that's a superhero show. Mm -hmm. so it's an action-oriented superhero show so that says that says a lot and i'm like yeah do you want to do you want to you know do your own thing at the same time yeah sure because you are allowed to have like your own be in your own genre and stuff like look at steven universe Mm -hmm. that is very clearly in its own doing its own thing however it's very unique but it, you know, all this kind of stuff like that is it might not be for everyone, but it is for enough people that they're like, oh, I want to do something like this. And then you get Craig of the Creek, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is more on, you know, that side. This is there's a reason why I, a black man, love seeing a kid that is literally me having adventures <laughs> in the woods. Uh-huh. I was that kid. <laughs> I love drawing. I love the fact that he draws maps. Do you yeah, know yeah. How many times I did that as a kid? You know, we did the Heyman episode. I drew a yeah. map of the invisible world. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that guy. Okay. Maps Uh-oh. are sick as hell. Maps kick ass. <laughs> Maps kick ass. Like, I feel like that's such a dumb... <laughs> oh, no, no. But like, no, I mean, God, I, I love a map. It's... Love a good map. I love a good map, man. Mm. Oh, maps are great. I I drew maps all the time, like of like imaginary worlds I would create and stuff. I drew them, and I because and you know what? Part of that is because of the Lord of the Rings, because the beginning sequences totally. and stuff. They had the mountains and all this oh. stuff, and they had more and all this. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. I, I want to draw stuff like having this. those books and like flip like they they the versions that I have had. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of different printed versions, but the versions oh, that I've yeah. had have had maps that track the journey of the fellowship. See, that stuff is and cool. just like <laughs> flipping through and just being like, they're going to the Emin wheel. What the fuck is the Emin wheel? Oh, it's yeah. over there. 
Like, oh, cool. oh, okay. oh, yeah. Uh, I, have put, a, I have correlation. I, I wasn't like that with Lord of the Rings, but you know what? I was like that with um, Redwall, the Redwall totally. series. All maps, just <laughs> maps all over the place. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if this is just straight up English because the English just like maps or <laughs> I'm like, OK, yeah. But yeah, uh, like that's a kid's. Well, it's literally kids Game of Thrones without the sex. <laughs> um, I'm dead but serious. That's violence, what it is. But with all of the violence. Oh, it's with all of the violence. Yeah. But um, yeah, but I was like, oh, man, I love the fact that I know where Moss Flower is. And it's that big. It's that mm-hmm. big. That's why there's a whole book dedicated to Moss Flower. It's that big. And then they go this. This is where the Long Patrol is coming. Yeah. And this is I know I'm talking big red wall shit. Wait a but... second. Where the fuck is Salamandastron? Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. over there. Okay. Oh, it's, right, got oh, it. it's that big red thing. Oh, right sick. Over there. Nice. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so awesome. I, I, I got into it like that. Otherwise, maps uh, are cool. Yeah, I don't know. Maps are cool. Maps kick ass. I love maps. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all like, I don't know. In a way, like, I would also like trying to stretch the definition of this episode. <laughs> but like, like, all that stuff, like, is kind of behind the scenes and like, like additional information that exists I mean, outside yeah. of the, the thing itself. Like, the appendices for The Lord of the Rings, like, again, extremely oh, cool. Extremely cool. The actual elven language. <laughs> just like tons of in-depth stuff about like yeah the actual linguistics and like calendars and yeah maps and histories and yeah all that stuff like you want to talk about creating an entire universe that's legit yeah. i was like wow yeah that's a lot yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you know what that's is it's based off of real life things believe it or not too because you know tolkien participated in world war one and saw some mm-hmm. shit so yeah. of course he's like i gotta write this all down and make it where war sucks you want to know how much war sucks like uh we're we're rereading the lord of the rings because basically yeah. anytime that you talk to me we are in the middle of rereading the lord of the rings um, <laughs> okay it's, oh that's good to know <laughs> i read it to my wife Note. when she goes to bed you know she falls asleep listening to me read the book to her who my wife Oh, I thought you said the cat. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I do love uh, reading to the kitties. Uh, let me tell you, they are easy to please. Um, but, no, uh, I, I, like, th- that's often, like, my wife d- has a hard time going to sleep, so I, I read to her. And that's basically, we really reread The Hobbit. That's super cute. <laughs> I know. I'm adorable. Uh, but I, we read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, and then we maybe sneak something in. It's like, oh, let's get some Ursula Le Guin in there. Let's get oh, some really? uh, David Eddings or some shit Dr. like once in a while. Not Dr. Seuss <laughs> yet. Yeah, but, yet. Uh, you know, you never know. Hop on pop. Hop on pop. Do it in different voices. What did pop do to deserve this? <laughs> no, I was about to say, like, yes. read it in the most dramatic voice ever. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Morgan Freeman reads one fish, two fish. Yeah, we're we're in the middle of reading it, and like, it's uh, I don't know. I like Lord of the Rings is just very special to me. Um, and and yeah, like his perspectives and his just like worldview that he has, where he's just like, war is bad and it sucks and it hurts everyone, and sometimes it's necessary. Um, yeah, like does feel 
I don't know. Like, just evergreen in a way that I appreciate. I, I mean, I can echo that sentiment of how he views the different sides in, like, the whole Lord of the Rings universe is, you know... And it's very it's expressed in the last movie very much so and i mm. always and like i said bittersweet i like bittersweet endings yeah where yeah, very much evil so. basically won but i mean well evil well here's the thing good didn't win but evil lost type thing yeah situation like it's it's and it's i a, appreciate that <laughs> it's a complicated victory like especially with the the elves where like it's interesting that the rings of power show is uh, going more into it, minor spoilers for the Rings of Power, not really, but like mm -hmm. part of the show is like emphasizing like, oh, the creation of the Elven Rings is to help artificially extend the Elves' ability to stay on Middle-earth. Like, really, oh, yeah. their time ended an age ago, and they're just living in this like stagnation, like they're unable to really move forward or change because the power of the Rings are holding them in this stasis. And mm -hmm. then once the one is destroyed, all of the rings of power lose their power. They're all bound to the ring. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there's no way to, to like, they are forced to leave now. They're, like, they have put off the inevitable as long yep, as they can. And go. now it's time to go. Yeah. Um, and there's, like, something real bittersweet uh, about that. You know, yeah. I, I really love... Galadriel's monologue when she's tempted by the ring, you know, in place of oh. a dark lord, you will have a queen. <laughs> queen! Which is like it's I'm it's like, it's goofy, but like I I really do love like what she's actually saying with Yeah, it. what she's actually saying. Um, yeah. Where it's like this is this is my temptation, like to to restore us to our glory, to be able to live and thrive and prosper like we once were. And then rejecting that and saying, you know, I pass the test. I will remain Galadriel and fade away. Like, mm -hmm. ah, like that's... I mean, if you think about it, all of the main... A lot of the main characters who encounter... Who have an encounter with the ring, they have that that thing, that unique yeah. thing about them. Because what is... um, What's his name? Boromir. He wants the ring so he can restore men. Yeah. <laughs> Not so he can be like, oh, I am the most powerful person individually. No, he's like, I need this because yeah. my dad needs this because we all want to restore men to our former glory yeah this is how we do it type thing but like it, the the ring uses that like yeah. as a wedge in order to 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 work corrupt, to, corrupt to work evil. yeah to, like to yeah to corrupt yeah. you people and it's people so easy hold on to the past people who yep. are uh you know ambitious and like the the ultimate contrast to it which i love and it's only in the book it doesn't show up in the movie mm -hmm. but sam takes the ring from frodo when uh, he's stabbed by Shelob. Mm -hmm. And for a brief moment, like he thinks that he's going to have to complete the quest by himself. And he has the ring and the ring speaks to him. And he's just like, I will give you your heart's greatest desire, which is yes, a exactly. garden? Like a big garden, like a very big garden. <laughs> yeah. A large garden. <laughs> and then Sam's just like, no, I'm good. Like... <laughs> And that is, this is why Sam is the best character. He's so great. Like, <laughs> I always was a stand for Sam. Yeah, always. Like, always. His, like it, it, it's in the way that like Superman's real superpower is his fundamental decency. Like mm -hmm. Sam is a hero because he is 
content. Like he's just decent. He's good. Like he doesn't want for anything more than he has. He wants peace and quiet and growth and and kindness. And that all is makes that the one of the uh, like the obviously the the climax of the whole series of when they get into Mount Doom. That makes that all the more hurt because Sam did all this and he's like, I believe in you. You could do it. You could do it. And mm-hmm. Frodo just loses it at the last second. Frodo loses it. And because I, I remember seeing this for the first time, and I was like, oh, he ain't gonna do it. He's not gonna <laughs> do it. And then he turns around. I was like, see, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. And then, you know, you could see Sam like, why? You were so close. I know. But I know. The thing is, that's what I love about that is because Frodo, the entire time, was just it was just them two they were the most decent people in the entire thing and even it and it even got to frodo at the end yeah and we don't know maybe it would have gotten the same at the end too because that's how it works it works on yeah. you over time so you know it's just and, like yeah i yeah i find it incredibly like sinister as a magical object of of just being like it planting ideas into your head and you don't realize they're not your ideas like you know but it it, convinces you that they are your ideas like you thought of this this is your idea this is good you know was like i choose to not destroy the ring and it's like do you was that your choice was that your idea exactly Um, that's all that's all very cool to me um and um yeah i mean we i mean that's this could be an entire lord of the rings episode though which i'm pretty sure would eventually happen because uh, some, someday we'll go even so, yeah, more into detail deep, but like it will uh, be. yeah d- deep into the 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 deepest pits of thumbnail <laughs> go into the mine <laughs> a mine a mine <laughs> a mine and these... rock and stone for all my people <laughs> who love that game uh, talk about delving too greedily and too deep yeah uh yeah uh, I mean, I'm just talking about Lord of the Rings now and how how but, cool I mean, and special but, it is to be. But like, yeah, I can't emphasize enough that like getting back to the topic at hand, like it was all these supplemental materials. It was this background stuff, and also like seeing the passion that other people had for the material. Mm-hmm. You know, hearing behind the scenes stuff about Christopher Lee oh, having yeah. a, a copy of the book tucked inside so that he could um actually <laughs> put on set. I uh, mean, for 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 all accounts, Christopher Lee had every right to say that to anybody ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I love the... I, I, it's kind of widely known now, but, you know, the fact that he was, like, an actual spy, and he's like... James he Bond was, is literally based on... <laughs> Yeah, it's Lee. based on Christopher Lee, and it's like just the craziest. Shit. Have you ever? Uh, I mean, it's everywhere right now. But he's like, have you ever? When he got into an argument with like, uh, uh, Peter Jackson, he's like, that's not how people sound when they get stabbed. Look, have you ever you... heard of people getting stabbed? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I have stabbed people. Yeah. To death. And I've seen people stabbed. They don't yeah. sound like that. They sound yeah. like oh, the the all your air goes out <gasps> of your. He's like, Ugh. I'm like. Wow, that is yeah. both cool and disturbing, and I love it. I <laughs> but like, yeah, like, uh, like, there's so many great stories and anecdotes that come out of those behind the scenes, and like, yeah, everyone knows about like Aragorn breaking his toe and like, yeah, some ah! of those. But like, 
it's like there's one story that I love about uh John Reese Davis um in real life like has a finger that um he lost at like the knuckle bone like it, mm-hmm. it, he doesn't have a full finger uh uh John Reese Davis of the nine fingers in the ring mm-hmm. of uh, that was a <laughs> shout out to the weird Rankin Bass. <laughs> Boo! Boo! <laughs> uh, how did he get nine fingers? Uh, but you shut your mouth. <laughs> but he he had a prosthetic that he would wear on it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so like one time as a prank, he was like, "I'm going to take a knife and I'm going to cut deep into it, and then I'm going to stick some fake blood in there." And then he went up to Peter Jackson. He's like, "Ah, oh, you're the, what was this voice? I was like doing a Sean Connery or something." <laughs> oh yes. Ah, uh, you know, there's a problem, uh, boss. Like I want to show you. <laughs> and then he would like peel it back and like just like totally twist this prosthetic finger, and so like the, the, the fake blood yeah. would come out, and just like hearing him prank his boss and then just like laughing hysterically about it behind the scenes yeah um hearing them get matching tattoos and hearing about like hearing the the, fact that they had fun making the content that they were making they actually had fun (laughs) it's like yes but also like incredible hardship like like they endured a lot to, yeah. to go through it but like hearing about like the bonding process hearing about them coming out the other side as like yeah lifelong friends about people who developed a real bond through this like adversity. sean austin's sean austin's kid which was the kid at the end of the movie was yep. tiny and now she's like <laughs> like yeah so now old. she's adult yeah she's an adult and it's just Ugh. like Oh my goodness like because they recently had like an anniversary or something like where they got together mm-hmm. or something and it was just crazy them talking about their experiences and stuff, making that franchise existing in that franchise. Because you think about how big of a deal that was when it came out. Yeah. When all three of those movies, one after another, came out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like yeah. we had to wait five years for a no. sequel. These like, were all filmed at once. Them being made back to back, like, and I mean, like. Yeah. For for people who maybe haven't seen those, like truly back to back, like one of the first scenes that they did was like, wasn't it towards the end? At the, them departing from the Gray Haven. Yeah. Like that's one of the first scenes that they shot. So it's like, hey, welcome to day two of filming. It's Return of the King, and Frodo is leaving forever. <laughs> and it's like, oh boy, like uh, wow, oh boy. <laughs> um, like I like just imagine like the logistics of that across yeah. like three years of filming or whatever it was plus how many years of post-production like and then regular reshoots and then reshoots for the Mm -hmm. extended editions like oh and by the way all this is to say guys this is an adaptation (laughs) sure is this is an straight up adaptation so it can be done well it will be done well it's just you gotta have a lot of the one thing I will say about those extent I haven't watched all of them, mm-hmm. but you know these people got hard. Everybody who's involved with this, yeah, with with that that production, they had heart in the game. They're like, totally. no, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be big. I'm putting everything into this. Yeah, it, like in what's rare. Well, not I wouldn't say rare, but what was amazing about it was the studio had their back. The studio was like, okay, Peter. I mean, 
Okay, Peter. Was, like, like hearing, hearing, like the details about the production and like them trying to get the funding and like yeah. producers being like, you can make two movies, and then yeah. trying to be like, okay, I guess we'll turn the Lord of the Rings into two movies. Yeah, that's crazy. That sucks. Um, yeah. Like every step of the way, like it is a miracle that that movie happened at all. It is a miracle that it turned mm-hmm. out as incredible as it is. Yeah. Um, and and it also just gave me such a huge appreciation for the fact that every bit of media is a miracle. Like, and and I mean, like I mean <laughs> you know this what? like sincerely. Right? Like right? the, the 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 logistics, the the series of approvals that need to happen, uh, getting everyone on board, the actual production, the post production, making sure that things are on the same page, like everything that happens, even bad shit, even dumb garbage, like is a miracle why that I it would, happens at all. That's why I never, very 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 rarely do I rank on the people that make stuff. Like that no. ends up being bad. I'm like you. I know you guys did your best, and even the director. I'm like, M. Night Shyamalan is a good example of this because he makes good and he makes trash. But I'm like, I think he just wasn't in it this time, or he just tried to do something that was out of his depth, or he didn't have the help. This is why George Lucas had a, such a problem <laughs> when he was making his later movies because he was the only one doing stuff. And he wouldn't listen to anybody. Yeah. And I'm like, it's a collaborative effort, like you did when you were younger. Totally. <laughs> I mean, there's a fantastic uh, uh, YouTube video that's about how Star Wars was saved in the edit. And, you know, that absolutely yeah. falls under the category of this kind of thing, like documentaries about the, the making of things, like archival footage mm-hmm. and, like, retrospectives and postmortems, like... All of those are so hugely valuable. GDC talks, like oh man, all of this stuff is just like it's the coolest shit. And the common thread is that like every single thing that has ever existed had a moment where it felt like everything was falling apart. Like <laughs> this isn't gonna work. <laughs> like again, like, I was talking about like the incredible amount of effort that goes into making a bad CGI student film, mm-hmm. like the incredible amount of effort that you have to put in in order to be able to tell if what you're making is worth anything is like Mm. so discouraging. Like it's, it's very, I will, I cannot say enough things about what you're talking about right now in terms of the discouragement mm -hmm. that artists like young artists artists that haven't been in the game for a while artists that have been working on their stuff forever and it feels like it's never going to yeah. happen and people and even if that there nobody's going to like this shit nobody's going to like this mm-hmm. i'm working on this i'm working my ass off for this and nobody's going to like this totally. i felt that for years i like i occasionally it still comes back but it's so hard because you see so many talented people around you and you're like Damn it, I wish I did that. Damn, I wish no, I did right. that. And I'm like, oh man. It's it's hard to keep motivation. It and is. behind and it's good to see behind the scenes of these great, you think these great pro- prolific artists that are also having the same doubts as you. Yes. It is so good and healthy to, not healthy that they go through that, but I mean you're gonna go through that regardless of what you do. Mm-hmm. But it's good to see other people that are in the same boat or have been in the same boat and say, I don't know. I 
who's gonna like this shit? Like, who's gonna? Nobody's gonna like this. Nobody's gonna. Yeah. This can't be marketed. That no, nobody is going to like this. And then it ends up being the biggest thing yeah. for a long time. And it's like, I can do stuff. I can do it. It's like, gonna take work. It's gonna take hard work, but it can be done. And it's it's hard to get out of your own head. It's really hard to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but it can like, be done. But when I was, you know, a young artist who was just taking my first tentative steps in here, it was incredibly, incredibly valuable to see those people have those doubts, to see them go through the same creative struggles, to see them like you you see this constantly with comedy stuff where you're working on something and then at a certain point you're like, I have no idea if any of these jokes are funny. I have no idea if any of this is funny. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm so overexposed to this. I'm so overthought every step of this process that I just have no objectivity for mm-hmm. whether or not it's valuable. Yeah. Um, and then they show it to someone else and they're like, dude, this is incredible shit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, dude, how many times have I told you that? Yeah. Like I know you get on your I know you get on yourself a lot for like the old stuff like your old <laughs> ideas. Yeah. I still think that stuff was a good idea. It just wasn't executed as well. <laughs> it's you know uh, back then, but you refined yourself a lot, but back then yeah. we were so bright-eyed bushy-tailed. We just put out a lot of stuff and totally. You know. And like like even though I I don't like my old work, like I'm really <laughs> grateful that at that time I was just doing stuff like yeah. even if it didn't go anywhere, like just the practice of doing stuff. Uh, is I mean, you really may not have liked valuable. it. You may not have liked it, but it, I still think it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you just said that, but yeah. Um, Cause that's why I still have a lot of my stuff. I still have a lot of my old sketchbooks and stuff. I don't have all of them, but I still have a lot of them because every once in a while, I just go back and looking at a, looking at a couple, just seeing what's what I, where my head was. Yeah. basically that i'm like wow i can see a lot of this can be improved now like especially like the drawings part but man like i had <laughs> i go back and i'm like i look i'm like wow i was really creative back then what is, what am i doing <laughs> what am i doing now i'm such an adult and adults are lame i used to have that like that wonder that sense of wonder back then and like mm. oh anything is possible what happened to me <laughs> I mean, I became lame. (laughs) It is a great feeling to look at old work and be like, oh, this wasn't worthless. Like, there's some cool stuff here. Uh, But I feel like a lot of the work that I'm doing is still good and fun and cool. And I'm into what I'm doing right now. Uh, I mean, you uh, you can't you can very well be that. I mean, I'm not saying that it's like because I'm obviously the same way. It's like Mm. but I just get that brief glimpse of, oh, man, like. A lot of a lot of that stuff was in my head back then. It's yeah. just gotten more refined, and now I'm having fun. Like it's not like I'm not ha- doing the same stuff. It just doesn't look that way because it is improved. Yeah, I, I, I would hope so. It's not as chaotic and impulsive. Uh, yeah. in the same way. But yeah. At the same time, you know, I talk about talk about projects that are never going to go anywhere by design. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we got pretty far into the Drive Angry Two script, like. <laughs> And I'm like genuinely like pretty proud of of where it got. It's fucking stupid. It rules. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes you gotta make you gotta get that stuff out. 
And yeah. then it, and, you know, and you can use that as even more inspiration for later things. Totally. That, yeah. It's an exercise why... and, and just like going through the motions and solving the problems, like having to deal with the problems and yeah. uh, uh, figure out, you know, just the, the nitty gritty of like breaking a story. It's not something that I've really done that much work with. And it's a cool, fun exercise. You know what's funny is I do do that a lot <laughs> because in like, like I said, it's for conversations between me and you over the years of me just I cannot help myself but create ideas and yeah. worlds and stuff like that. And for the longest time, I thought that was a detriment because of conversations that we had where it's like, oh, I need to focus on one thing. And then I did. And then I burned myself out super quick because I was like, I feel like, you know, I can't, you know, just let a lot of my stuff out. But then I realized letting a lot of that stuff out, even if it didn't go anywhere, gave me more inspiration to go back to what I was working on and be like, oh, this sure, works sure. now. Oh, let me rewrite this. Oh, let me do this. And I'm like, oh, this is the process of creation and and, and just art. Oh, Oh, they didn't t tell me this. <laughs> Nobody told me this. <laughs> I mean, uh, going back to, to Double Fine, um, one of the things that I love the most about like the, the years and years of mm -hmm. documentaries that they've done are them documenting Amnesia Fortnights, which is them oh, being yeah. like, we are three years into this project and we're all feeling a little bit burned out by it. We're all feeling a little bit sick of it. So we're just going to stop what we're doing and just totally change directions do something else, get like some wild creative energy out there. And then afterwards, we're going to come back to this feeling like energetic, just energized. a lot more. Yeah. yeah just with our perspective changed from it. And like, that's so cool. That's so awesome that they have that as like an official policy, you know, they recognize the, the, the value of that. I, I think that a lot of artists, like big time professionals, people mm -hmm. that are directors and whatnot need to express this more uh, for the for the young bucks and people like us, like, you know, on the lower tiers or whatnot or what have you just express the more of that kind of sentiment of ex creative explosions aren't bad. No, uh, no, 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 deviating and all this kind of stuff for a little bit is not bad. We, totally. got, we just got to get it out there. Let it flow. Because sometimes, like a lot of times, actually, I should say, letting it flow is so valuable to the create, not only the creative space in general, mm. because you never know who's going to pick up. You may throw that out there and you're like, I don't want to, I'm not going to do anything with this. Well, somebody else is like, I have an idea on how to improve that and make it work and everything mm. like that, because that's my thing. And then something else comes up with that and then you get something that's really unique and everything like that that's n maybe not for you but it's still good in its own right and it's still found its audience maybe because of something i'm not i'm saying this as a hypothetical but some because of that person saw something that you did mm. and you're like yeah this is a throwaway thing and they're like and they looked at it and it was like no i can do something with that that totally. is totally i love cats I can make something about cats. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I get it. And then you made the movie cats. And then we're all just like, huh? That's what you did, huh? <laughs> That's what you did, huh? That was the plan. That's huh? what you did with that. Uh, hey. but, but like uh, yeah. more seriously, um, you know, talk about hollow Knight again. Yeah. Hollow Knight started out as a game jam 
game, and the only thing that carried over was the design of yeah. the, the main character. But yeah. like that was the start. The start came from a weird and unexpected place, and that's so often true. Um, mm-hmm. And it needs to be expressed a lot more. Hey guys. I had this idea and nothing came of it except for this little thing. And then I just yeah. said, we're going to run with this totally. type thing. That, that happens all the time. Yeah. But like also on the, the other side of the coin, and I'm not sure how much you agree with the sentiment, um, mm-hmm. but something that I find really valuable looking at other people go through the process, looking at psychodicy where you watch them work on Psychonauts 2 for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, creative work is work. And while it's often useful to take breaks or do other things, to chase your passion, to follow that passion, day to day, like you are committing yourself to something that's bigger than that. And you cannot just rely on that blind passion because that blind passion will get you really far when you're just in the middle of it and you're excited and you're so on fire with like Mm -hmm. ideas and inspiration. But then, and this is like me Mm -hmm. me experiencing this recently with like working on the script, you'll get to a roadblock and then everything comes to a screeching halt. And then you have to problem solve something that's not super fun. And Mm -hmm. that's also useful to experience and it's useful to feel, to go through the process of working through it and to realize Mm -hmm. that like often there aren't any shortcuts. You just have to put in the time. You have to have the discipline to make it be something that you choose to do beyond just that fiery Mm -hmm. passion, beyond just that excitement. Like creative work is work. And Mm -hmm. sometimes isn't the most fun, but sometimes that not exciting stuff is really, really valuable. I, I 100% agree with your, with the statement that you are making Mm. because you added the most important part of that is creative work. Yeah. (laughs) It, you have creative, the creative part of that is the, where the passion is because believe it or not, that will push you. I, I, that's one thing I do agree. That's one thing I will say is I do believe that that passion should push you to be disciplined. Yeah. Be, because like I said, it's two different things, creative and work mm-hmm. with the work comes the discipline comes the grind of, I ha- like you said, I have to problem solve this. I have to put my head to the grindstone and kind of work on this, work on this. This is not fun. I want to move past this so I can get back to the fun stuff, yeah. which I had to learn. I really have to learn that of writing the boring stuff, which is slowly not becoming boring. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, does this have to be boring? And then I, and then I force myself to research things that I like, but the quote unquote boring parts of it, the conversations, the transitions from conversation to set piece, to tone, to in everything molding together, which is why I like Denis Villeneuve, because that is all of his movies is how does he make this stuff interesting? Yeah. Nothing happens in like something like Arrival. (laughs) Nothing happens, but then everything happens. That mm-hmm. is the whole thing. And I'm like, this is so fascinating. And I literally had to watch stuff like this. And that's how I got into stuff like that. Filmmaking like that. 
And I've translated that into how I write, translated that into how I create. And to be fair, that is not my forte. That is more you. That's why I always, like, if we ever did a project, I would have you do a lot of the slow, meaningful stuff because I know it'll hit sure, hard. Sure. And me, I'll do, like, the, you know, whatever, uh, the other stuff or whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, we'll both be collaborative or whatever, but we both have strengths. Hence, circling back to the idea of this whole episode <laughs> <laughs> is behind the scenes, collaborative is everything. <laughs> It's, it's that's how really you get important. the good shit <laughs> like yes you do very rarely have that lone auteur who does every single thing by themselves and, it and they're genuinely awesome is, by the way they're awesome and they are <laughs> awesome that is cool but like approaching 100 percent of all media is collaborative work and figuring out how to do that and to find someone who works with you and elevates you is mm -hmm. really valuable because oh, you elevate you, me buddy Oh, that's so sweet. That's like the nicest thing it was ever said. I'm dead. I'm dead serious. I know. I know. Uh, yeah, the feeling is absolutely mutual. Uh, but yeah, like uh, uh, one of the most common refrains that you will hear from people in uh, these behind the scenes stuff is them talking about like, yeah, I was doing this, but then this person came in. And they pushed me in the right direction. And I would never have done that without their help. Like, I would never have gotten there. I would never have made that connection without them. And Yeah. It, and it's true. It unbelievably sounds very valuable. Like, it sounds very, like, hokey sometimes, especially when you watch older stuff. Like, especially with, like, a lot of Disney stuff. Like, mm -hmm. wow, they made The Lion King. And we had to go to Africa and bring in real lions. I'm like, ooh, yeah. But then you look at it, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> That kind of works. Yeah, it kind that, of was important, that actually. That works, yeah. And it could be with anything. Like I said, martial arts, like with mm -hmm. Avatar Lesson, mm -hmm. they actually brought in people that have yeah. tons of experience in martial arts yeah. and got the flow and said, oh, I move like this. This is how we I would actually fight somebody without yeah. bending. Now just make it move and that's how stuff like you said with the flow and the very kinetic energy mm -hmm. of all of that it's because they're actually doing stuff that people can actually do just yeah. take out the you know the flying and all the elemental like superpowers and you got just actual people fighting mar with martial arts yeah where you can actually hurt somebody with a punch you don't need it to be you know a punch with like ice behind it you can actually <laughs> really knock somebody out yeah that. you can actually just hit someone and it hurts actually yeah uh, which is surprising because they do a lot of that anyway in the show <laughs> they just knock people off or... <laughs> but anyway uh, but i think that i think that is a good uh, i think that is a good stopping point in the in the in the fact in the sausage factory because the sausage factory can go deep but absolutely you know. <laughs> um if there is something, this is my call to action, I suppose, if there is something out there that, like, you are really passionate about, go look up some stuff about how it was made. Like, I I always find that valuable. I always get something. I'm always enriched by that. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, if you're into games, like, the Double Fine stuff is genuinely unbeatable. Like, I mean, you go look at, like, the people that made Hades, too. 
um yeah. super giant yeah super giant's uh, another good one that they're like oh my goodness this stuff is great no no <laughs> clip is like the other one which does yeah. really great work and like yeah the developing hell is uh probably also really wonderful oh yeah stuff. yeah i remember you showing me that so but um but i mean the double fine psychodicy follows them through seven years and then if you go and watch the double fine adventure stuff that started in like 2012 mm-hmm. there's over a decade worth of documentary walking you through every step of the creative process uh from a team of documentarians a documentary yeah. team that are full-time yeah. employees at the studio whose only job is to take this and then turn it into a story that they can share and like no other studio uh is as transparent no other studio goes behind the scenes in that way and like hugely hugely valuable an absolute miracle that it exists mm-hmm. not just showing the good but showing the bad showing the hard times showing, showing the hard showing how and it's and it's what i appreciate about it is like i said this is why i kind of like double fine because it's not too big but not too small either um is because it's it shows that these are normal people <laughs> yeah these aren't super geniuses but they're not but they're really talented too yeah creative people are just people they're just people doing stuff people Uh, stuff they're doing people things and (laughs) yeah uh but yeah yeah so that has been our episode for today for sausages enjoyed us talking about sausage i love sausage (laughs) sausage sausages great sausages sausages yeah, so if you have any questions, comments, or a suggestion topic for an episode, send us an email over at halftonetakes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed listening, please give us a rating and review on iTunes Podcast Addict or wherever else podcasts are rated. I have been Adam Bucheri. I am an animator, game designer, uh, and you can find my tabletop games on bucheri.itch.io. That is boo cherry, boo like ghost, cherry like fruit. Boo. Boo. Boo boo. Boo boo. Uh, boo boo. <laughs> and I have been Corey Revis, illustrator and comic creator. You can find me on Instagram at E A R T H U R underscore one. That is Earther One. And Hell that is yeah. where I am right now. So, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that we're gonna sign off the podcast the same way we always do get out of here get the fuck out Please. get out of here get out i'm walking here <laughs>
Let it air bubble. <laughs> now you're gonna have so many claps in your, Yo, in your audio. This is this is all going into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> This That's is the post-credit really bonus. It's just listen to us talk. This dude is a That's actually dance. really funny. <laughs>